Ladies and gentlemen, it was a cold-blooded, premeditated murder. everyone and welcome to a new episode of the Red and Buried podcast. I'm Frankie and today I'm delighted to be joined by the wonderful Araminta Hall. Hi Araminta. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Very nice to be oh, here. Thank you so much for coming. You've just been telling me you've been doing a lot of podcasts lately so I hope you're not too podcast out and this isn't going to be too painful. I'm not at all actually. I mean it's I love, I love, well I love listening to podcasts and I actually also really enjoy talking on them. I think it's such a it's such a great way, actually, to chat about your book, and yeah, and I'm I'm always listening to. Them, oh yeah, so. <laughs> me too, absolutely. What's your uh, What's your go to podcast at the moment? What's your favourite? Well, I really like. Um, I've all I've, for ages actually. I've really liked um, Elizabeth Day's How to Fail, yeah. and I really like The Shift with Sam Baker. Oh, fantastic! As well. And I mean, I like loads of writing podcasts, obviously. So yeah, I just, and then, sometimes, yeah, I just, I, and then sometimes I listen to sort of a series or something. I, I normally put them on when I'm driving. Yeah. So, um, that's a real podcast. <laughs> there, there are so many amazing ones out there. It's almost hard to keep up with all of them though. And reading I know. and TV and everything. Exactly. Yeah. No, I know. Exactly. There is, it, there is too much to be. Yeah. <laughs> no, everyone needs to stop to making good content. Keep yeah. up <laughs> well, before we get into some questions, I've got a little bio that I've written about you, taken from various online sources. So hopefully it's correct, but please do tell me if anything's horribly wrong. Right. Araminta Hall has worked as a writer, journalist and teacher. Her first novel, Everything and Nothing, was published in 2011 and became a Richard and Judy read of the year. Dot... Our Kind of Cruelty, Perfect Strangers, also known as Imperfect Women in the US, and Hidden Deaths followed, and her latest novel, One of the Good Guys, is out now. Described as, and I saw this in one of your reviews lately and I loved it, a bleak, windswept landscape crumbling into a churning sea with looming dread and the threat of violence. That's the most amazing line, isn't it? That's brilliant. As, uh, uh, it asks the question if most men claim to be good why are most women still afraid to walk home alone at night desperate to escape the ghosts of his failed marriage cole upends his life he leaves london behind for a remote stretch of coast relishing the respite from the noise drama and relentless careerism that curdled his relationship and mental health leonora had, sorry <clears throat> leonora has made the same move for similar reasons She's living a short walk from Cole's seaside cottage, preparing for her latest art exhibition. Although Cole still can't figure out what went wrong with his marriage and Leonora is having trouble acclimating to the hostile landscape, the pair forges a connection on the eroding bluff they call home. Then, two young women activists raising awareness about gendered violence disappear while passing through. Cole and Leonora suddenly find themselves in the middle of a police investigation and the resulting media firestorm when the world learns what happened. And as the tensions escalate alongside the search for the missing women, they quickly realise that they don't know each other all that well after all. Outside of writing, Araminta teaches creative writing at New Writing South in Brighton, where she lives with her husband, yeah, I ah, don't do that anymore. Right. I used to <laughs> I don't do. <laughs> teach creative writing. Okay, lovely. Where you do you still live in Brighton with your husband and children? I live in Brighton. Well, I live in Brighton with my husband and two and well, like one and a half of my children. Now, one of my my eldest son has left home, and my 
eldest daughters at university. So it's mainly just me and my husband and my youngest daughter. There you go. So I've got, I've got mostly a roundup of them there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's I've got here as well, all taken from the internet. She is also very kind, generous with her time and definitely one of the good gals. Oh, I don't know who said that. It might have been me. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so largely right, apart from the, some of the finer details, I guess time has uh, changed things. <laughs> I was going to say, time's just moved on. Oh boy, it? hasn't it just? And it's yeah. like you've had an incredibly busy few years as well, so a lot going on. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I've been sort of publishing a book every couple of years and then a couple of my books are in development for TV Amazing. things. So there's been quite a lot going on, but not, I mean, you know, it's not heart surgery. <laughs> no. <laughs> not, I can't claim to be that busy. No, no. But I mean, it's all relative and there's still a lot of work involved. So yeah, no, yeah. Not heart surgery. Okay. That kind of wins, but you know, but you're, <laughs> you're giving joy to people's hearts and isn't that the same? It's, it's, well, I mean, baby. <laughs> I think someone with a, you know, a faulty valve. Not, not agree Have you tried that, reading but... a book instead of surgery? No, probably not the same <laughs> yeah. kind of result, really. No, no, no. <laughs> and you mentioned uh, a couple of your things are in development, which is so exciting. And I know that Elizabeth Moss is, is attached. That's <gasps> right. That's well, Imperfect Women was bought by Elizabeth Buss's production company. Amazing. Um, and um, they've just been incredible. I mean, it's powered ahead. I mean, considering we've had it was well, that book came out in 2020, which was obviously <laughs> in the middle of the pandemic, which was a great time to come out. Um, and um, they bought it relatively soon after it was published, if I remember rightly. And um, so considering we had COVID and then we had nearly a year of act of writer and actor yeah. strikes in the US so it has been they've yeah it's it, they're really powering ahead with it which is I mean obviously as any writer who's ever been optioned will tell you I mean you can't actually count your chickens until the first day of filming happens but it's looking pretty positive at the oh, moment everything <laughs> crossed that's so exciting yeah. even I mean it's that thing of you know if it ends up getting made, amazing. But I get, I, ma I imagine you've learned a hell of a lot on this journey to get to this point as well. Yeah, you d I definitely have. And um, yeah, I mean, it would obviously be incredible if it's made. It would just be, I know, so, so amazing. But yeah, yeah we just have to yeah, keep everything close. And amazing for us because I want to see it and I want to see what they do with it. Yeah, so exciting. Yeah. I know, it will be so, it's so bizarre. And like when you hear the actresses, you know, which obviously I can't say who, but you you you're so it's so mind-blowing you sort of think oh, I can't believe these and actually when you read the scripts as well it's so funny to see your words and your story but told by someone else and done it you know and little things change and it's it's really interesting actually. yeah no I can only imagine it's like watching your child go off and live with someone else and you're like what are we, we doing over there that's weird <laughs> but exciting <laughs> yeah. And but now, obviously, we've you've done an amazing. You've got an amazing body of work. But today, we're going to talk about the new book, which is out now. As we said, very very exciting. So, yep. one of the good guys. Where did that? I mean, I I've read a bit about your thoughts on it, but I'd love for you to tell me, like, where did the inspiration come from? Is it the horrors of recent life, or <laughs> in general? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I I I sort of um, I was I've I've been thinking over the past couple of years about how 
sort of disappointed I've been in me too. And I haven't really been able to pinpoint my disappointment. And, you know, because things have changed, you know, relatively, you know, you can't feel a woman up on public transport, make a lewd comment if you're a boss, you know, all those sorts of things have changed. But I sort of feel like we don't feel any safer. And I was, I, I really like to walk and I live in Brighton and there's the South Downs Way is about, a, well, part of it is about a 40 minute drive from my house. And it's a place I walk quite a lot. Me and my family walk there quite a bit. And on the bit that we walk, it's a really sort of, well, it's actually, it's a funny, it's a funny um, location because it's very isolated. Like you can't get to it. You have to walk to it. You know, you, there's no mm-hmm. road. But at the same time, because it's the South Downs Way in the daytime, it's, quite busy you know and so you'll you you won't be alone if you walk it in the day but you pass these three coast guard cottages which are right on the edge of the cliff and are you know the erosion's really bad so they're you know they're going to fall into the sea relatively well not relative you know sometime soon and um I mean it's a very dramatic landscape and I just every time I passed them I was thinking more and more about like living there as a woman on your own and how when everyone goes home at night and you're there and you're isolated and was thinking about how scary it could be. And I did the walk one day and I happened to be going out that night and I was, you know, I live right in the centre of Brighton, which is an incredibly bustling, busy place with lots going on. And I um, was walking home. It was like 10 o'clock at night, you know, I was walking home on my own. It was the middle of winter. It was dark. And I got that fear that all women get when you know you turn onto a street that's empty and then there was a man behind me and he actually did that nice thing of crossing the road and speeding up so I knew you know I I didn't actually feel any threat from him but I was sort of thinking isn't it strange how you know I feel just as unsafe in this setting as I would in that really isolated setting and actually it's not about the situations we put ourselves in as women it's just that we are, if you know, I mean, obviously, most of the time we are completely safe, but there's just always that threat in the back of your mind that just little, I think as women, we just overcompensate all the time. We're always thinking, we go out at night, we're, we're planning our route home. We are, you know, if we're going into a multi-story car park, we're thinking about mm. exactly where, you know, we get our keys at. All those things that ev- when you say it to a woman, every woman knows exactly what you're talking about. And I just started thinking, I mean, that's really what, you know, gender equality would look like if we felt safe on the streets of our own homes or walking through secluded woodland, even in the middle of the day, or not thinking about where you're parking your car because you've got to go and pick it up later. You know, that would feel like true equality for me. And I just think we're still so far away from it. And I don't even know how we're going to get to it. So that was the sort of germ of the idea. And then I started thinking about like how I could fictionalize it and, you know, tell it in a thrillerish mm, way. Yeah. I mean, obviously, as a woman, everything you've just said completely resonates. And it's so true, isn't it? It's that even like my mum was, I was speaking to my mum recently and she loves walking and things as well. But she was saying some of the cut, the uh, kind of country routes that I live near, she's like, I wouldn't feel safe going on my, by myself down those routes, you know, it, that's, I mean, that's what I, because I have a dog and I, you know, I walk her every day. I walk her. And um, yeah, I noticed that when I'm doing it on my own, I am much more careful about where I'll do it. You know, yeah. there'll 
there are certain parts of woodland I walk through, but others that I'm too scared to. And I think actually it's a conversation that we really need to have because I think that we have been conditioned, you know, over the past 20 years or so to say, you know, part of feminism has felt like saying, oh, I'm not frightened anymore. I'm as strong as any man. I'm as, I'm as, you know, I can do all these things. And actually it's not true. You know, most women are physically weaker than most men. And that's just sort of a bottom line thing that if you are in a secluded woodland and a man does want to attack you, you are probably not going to come off that very well. And so I think that, you know, we have to be honest mm. about the thoughts that women have on a, on, a, on a regular basis. And, you know, I have teenage daughters mm. and when they go out at night, I'm, I, feel, I feel worried until they come home in a way that I didn't feel about my son, which actually is probably silly. I mean, I probably should have felt worried about him in the same way. But it's just, it is that sort of fundamental difference in physicality mm. that I think we need to address. And I think that our society has used that difference against us for too long now. I mean, for so long that it's just a completely ingrained thing. As women, we just accept that we have to keep ourselves safe. And it does feel really unfair. <laughs> you sort of feel like, you know, every other aspect of life, we work to protect people. But for some reason, with female safety, it's always down to yeah. us. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's that thing as well of even when as you say you are technically in a safe environment, you always have that voice at the back of your mind saying, are you really safe though? Like, look at poor Sarah Everhart absolutely. and people like that, you know, like she couldn't have been sa in a safer place, you know, CCTV everywhere in a public busy place and you just don't know. So, well, and then got into a police car. The safest I mean, place in the world, yeah, in theory. Exactly. It is. And that's the thing. And I think that's, I think that's what the experience of being a yeah. woman is it, a lot. If you're constantly having the rug pulled out from underneath you. Yeah. And I think that also, I mean, you know, so tragically, I think for a lot of women that fear actually exists within their own home. You know, I can only imagine what it must feel like not to feel safe once you've shut your door. Because I think for most of us, we get home and you can lock your doors and everything and, and you do feel mm. safe. But I mean, I can't imagine if the biggest threat was inside your home. It's so, it's so terrifying. So, but it's a really, really common experience, yeah. you know. Um, in America and the UK, you know, there's uh, two or three women a day are killed by an intimate partner, which is an incredible figure, I think. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so shocking, but obviously very real. And it, yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh. Oh boy, heavy stuff, but very important. As you say, it's yeah. an important conversation to have. And I think yeah. what, what you've done so, so well with one of the good guys is capture that male voice where no bad guy, quote unquote, thinks they're a bad guy. <laughs> you know, everyone thinks they likes to think that they are a good person, but it's always that if, if we're being truly with, honest with ourselves. And I think with a lot of men who, for a majority of men, as we know, are good people. But these violent crimes are happening by men. So there's, the, the numbers yeah. aren't adding up here. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I think what's, I mean, what you were saying, what's interesting about Cole, mm. I was very keen, you know, to, he, he, isn't a, he isn't your classic bad guy at all. Like, you know, thriller and crime novels are populated with men, which, you know, I've done as well, men who 
want to control women and they you know the, the you know the idea of gaslighting has become so huge in us you know in it, it actually in popular culture yeah. even you know it's such a it's such a recognized thing thank goodness but a gaslighting is often a conscious crime whereas i wanted to write about a man who is he really is he does not just believe that he's good but he acts in the you know mm. the majority of the way he acts is good and I just wanted to sort of address the idea that it's actually not enough. Like, I think I think the bar to be a good man is pretty low. In yes. Episode. And I think that and I think that you sort of just have to say you're good and just have to say a few of the right things and do a few of the right things and be seen as this sort of all conquering hero. And actually, I just think it's, you know, we need to we need to dig a little bit further in the way that women have to prove their goodness I get you know I mean my goodness you know you cannot you can't get away with anything as a woman in public life so I think that you I I think it's really important that I for me it was very important to create a character who hadn't done anything particularly bad you know I mean one thing he does but <laughs> apart from that he hasn't he you know he's not trying to hurt anyone he's not he could and I'm sure many readers will read him as a genuine good guy and there is an argument, you know, I can see people saying that he is. Um, but I, in fact, I had my first review on Amazon yesterday. My daughter sent it to me on a screenshot and it says the headline of the review is Team Cole. And wow. I thought it's so interesting. Like, and, and some, but a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people will probably think that. So I, I was, I, yeah, I wanted to create a character that wasn't bad. Like, he, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to suddenly find out that he's tricked us no. all. And, you know, what he says is completely untrue. It's more, it's trying to be a bit more nuanced than that and asking us like what, trying to ask like, what are we, what do we expect of men and women? And how is redressing the balance of that going to change yeah. relationships? Basically, Yeah. And how do you go about construct because it's so easy to just have an all bad character isn't it it would be so easy to a, a true yeah. villain but it's a lot more complicated and a lot more I say nuanced to portray that character that isn't bad but there are certain problematic elements to perhaps their nature how do you go about constructing that that must be a real challenge it, it, yeah it was it was a challenge and I rewrote him a lot <laughs> I think it's that thing of you I I I understood Cole better than he understands himself, <laughs> which is a which is a a funny position to be in as yeah. a writer. So you're you are constantly second guessing yourself. I mean, not second guessing yourself. You're constantly. I mean, there will be many times that I would write him thinking or saying something, and then think, no, actually, he doesn't. He 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 wouldn't. He wouldn't. He wouldn't let himself get angry about that. He wouldn't let himself feel the really bad thing. So it was, it was, it was a constant sort of writing a bit too much and then cutting it back again. And um, yeah, it was a, it was a long process. I guess it's that thing as well of that, as you say, that kind of womanly instinct to really over, like over, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Where you overcompensate to a degree, and then as a and then you have to think as a man, he wouldn't overcompensate in the same way that a woman does and pull it right back. Yeah, and also it's it's incredibly important to Carl that he is a you know he his his being a good guy is a massive part mm. of his self identification. So he's not going to let himself think 
that stupid bitch or something about his wife because he's he feels much more evolved than that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think he genuinely doesn't think like that as mm. well. So yeah, it was. But I mean, you know, deep down, it's interesting as to what Cole does actually think. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we learn a lot more about him from his ex-wife's perspective as we get later on into the book. Yeah. And you kind of, yeah, it, it's that whole, is our relator as reliable as, as we think they are? And, and as you say, does he know himself how reliable he is? <laughs> I mean, the funny thing, I think actually all of the narrators are very reliable in this book in that they are not trying to fool no. you and they're not, they're not even trying to fool themselves. But obviously, as is true for all humans, we do fool ourselves because we like to think we're things that we're mm. not. And for most of us, those are hopefully little things and they are not dangerous. But if for someone like Cole, they become dangerous, really. And they become really, you know, they become damaging, I think is um, more, maybe more the correct Yeah, word. no, absolutely. <laughs> And you, you said earlier that you have done roughly like a, a book every couple of years at this point. So for the writing process for you, do you have it kind of down to an art at this point? Is it the same every time or are you? <laughs> how does it work? No, I mean, I do, well, I do have, I sort of know now that I'm sort of neither a plotter or a, a panster. I'm, I, 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 I like to go into a novel knowing I mean, I know the characters I want to create and I know where I want to end up with the book. And for me, the most, you know, at, at the beginning, I'm really, I focus on what I'm, the theme of mm -hmm. the book is. Although, obviously, the finished product, it shouldn't, the theme shouldn't be the most important thing. It should just be an undercurrent to everything because otherwise you're writing a polemic and it would be really boring and <laughs> it just wouldn't be worth reading. So what I what I've learned is... I can just write in my first draft, I just write and I use it to tell myself the story and to really get to know the characters. And I have literally never shown a first draft of anything to anyone. Wow, really? Not my agent, not my editor, nobody. And at the end of the first draft, I then will probably write a plan. And again, it won't be a really detailed like post-it notes, chapter by chapter, but it will... I will by then have really sorted out in my head the basic structure of the book, who exactly who the characters mm. are, exactly where I'm going with it. And then I'll do another draft. And at that point, I might send it to my agent and she will undoubtedly point out so many <laughs> things that need doing with it. And then I'll do that again. And then we'll go to my editor and she will again <laughs> point out lots of things. So it's an ever-evolving process. That can take, I mean, it can take like eight drafts, nine drafts. And it, you know, so it's, I mean, it pretty much always does actually take about that. Wow. So. And within that process, what do you like most and least about it? Well, it's funny. I sort of like most and least the same thing because that first draft is really freeing and there's something really enjoyable about just not caring yeah. about your anything like I don't think about word count I don't think about structure I don't think about creating beautiful sentences I'm just sort of telling the story but there is also something really frustrating <laughs> in that because I sort of know that 70% of what I'm writing won't end up on the page so there is sort of also the feeling of oh god like I've just gotta 
and putting all these words down and they're not a lot of them I mean a lot of them won't stay but not just that a lot of them won't exist in any form you know by the end of it I'll have changed my mind about so many things so it's sort of that because because then even though the editing process can become laborious and you know you get more notes and you're like, oh god I can't do another I can't do any more notes but they are also really that's where you create a good book so you also sort of enjoy that side I mean I sort of so yeah it's sort of I can sort of love and hate all aspects of it. And when you have to take out chunks, does it hurt to delete words? Uh, no, not really. Not anymore. I sort of know that um, all those cliches like kill your darlings <laughs> and all that is that's so true. You know, it's like often, no, I don't, I don't, I, no, I know. I, I really, I do like the editing process. I like when I get that phone call from my agent, which, you know, she's always my first reader. And when I get that email being like, shall we have a conversation? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's going to be brutal. Um, and, um, but there is also by the end of the call, I'm always, I always know that I'm going to write a better book afterwards. So there is something sort of exciting about it. Yeah. Yeah. But I, and also, I'm not sure that anything is ever wasted. It's so weird how sometimes in a couple of books down the line, you actually find yourself remembering something and thinking, oh, I, you know, that fits here or something. So it's, yeah, no, it's, 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 I, I don't mind. I don't mind cutting it. And I guess from your journalistic background, you're probably used to being edited quite a bit. Oh, totally. Yeah. 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 And actually I was edited way, way less as a journalist. Really? Because as a journalist, you're, well, you're, you know, you're writing, you know, a couple thousand to 2000 word articles and you sort of have to get it right. If you weren't getting it right, (laughs) you'd be out of a job. So it's, it's, yeah, it's it's a much more involved process, obviously. With of course. Book. And when you're writing across a few different character voices as well, I imagine that takes a lot of refinement and different focus. Yeah, I mean, that is that for this book, I was really because um, it's three first person narratives and then there's a lot of social media and things like that yeah. in it. But I was so conscious of that and I was so worried and I kept on thinking I'm crazy to try to attempt this, but I couldn't think of another way of telling the story actually. So it had to be first person. And, but yes, so I worked really, really hard at trying to get three very distinct voices. I mean, I was lucky that I had three very distinct characters, so it was not as hard as it could have been, but but yeah, I was really conscious of that because I find that really difficult in a novel where you're swapping, you know, and you you can't remember who's talking. And yeah, yeah, so. no, absolutely. And and to make you know their stances and their viewpoints very distinct from one another helps, yeah, to clarify yeah. that. I'm really curious. This is a question we ask every author that comes on. And given some of the characters in your books, I'm very intrigued. If you had to be a character from one of your books, who would you be and why? Well, yeah, I think I would actually be Lenny, who's the artist in One of the Good Guys. And the reason being that she's just so ballsy, like way, way, way more so than I will (laughs) ever be. Um, And she's not afraid to just be exactly who she is. And she really doesn't care what people think of her. And I sort of, I love female characters like that. And I, I love a sort of angry, ballsy, woman and he's just so brave and so out there and creating incredible Mm. work I mean I mean there's lots of aspects of her life that I wouldn't like so much and she would sort of terrify me (laughs) 
But yes, I think I'd guess if I was going to try out like a day in the life, I think I'd try her out and try to retain some of her. Yeah, God, if you can bottle that and maybe sell it, I think you'd be <laughs> you'd be very well. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, very aspirational mindset to have for sure. Yeah, exactly. And you talked about the process of starting with a bit of a rough first draft and then refining it, and then I'm guessing that's where the the kind of the more the flow of the language and the construction of the sentences comes from. Another question we've added recently to the roster that I really love is. What's a line you've written lately or from your cat back catalogue that you are especially proud of? There's a, there's a few um, uh, that um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's difficult to say that you're especially proud of a line. It feels, it feels, it feels strange. Yeah. It can be <laughs> more than a line if um, there's a paragraph or. Well, no, no, I don't mean that. <laughs> I just mean like, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure. I mean, if I feel proud of my books and the finished product, but I'm not sure. I also, I think there's so much that you would change. You know, every time I do a reading, I'm <laughs> the pay before I do. But there was, um, I mean, I like some of Cole's lines actually, and he ends his section by saying, "I mean, also, I can't actually remember <laughs> my lines exactly, but." Um, he ends his section by saying something like, um, I know historically it's been hard to be a woman, but my God, it's hard to be a man right now. And that line sort of made me laugh a little bit. Because it's so. it's definitely <laughs> I, something I've seen people say online quite a lot. So Exactly. I felt like it was, yeah. So um yeah. So um <laughs> I'm really I'm curious as now that the book is kind of starting to be is out in the world now and you're starting to get listener uh, listener sorry reader feedback are you seeing a difference between the male and female readers in terms of response i hadn't actually i mean it's only been out sure. it's it's only been out for three days and it's coming out in america tomorrow so i have i hadn't but i got a brilliant review on amazon today a two-star review from oh. a man basically saying that i Clearly, well, I can't remember the whole review, but the bit that made me laugh, I actually put it onto my Twitter because <laughs> it just made me laugh so much. But it said something like, this writer seems obsessed with the idea that every time women leave their homes, they're in fear for their lives or something, which obviously I wasn't, no. I'm not saying that. But, but anyway, he was sort of saying that. And then he said, in my experience, that's not true, comma. I know I'm a man, but... <laughs> I just thought that sort of sums up everything I'm saying right yep. there. I mean, how bizarre to think that you can talk yep. about female experiences. But yeah, so he gave me two stars because he didn't think I um, portrayed the female experience. His female experience. His female experience, <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I was very interested by that. Wow, but... <laughs> that is fascinating, truly. As you're writing yeah, that, but... do you not have any self-awareness, I wonder, as that reviewer? I mean, like... <laughs> Hold on. Let me read that back. <laughs> Fascinating. It's so funny. It's so brilliant. I mean, yeah, reviews like that actually just make me laugh. They don't bother me in any way. But no, I mean, a lot of men have been so, so responsive and positive. And, you know, so I'm, yeah, not. But I mean, I think all we're all read by more women because more women read. Yeah, so especially crime it's, as well. It's, 
especially crime and thriller. Yeah, it's a real, it's a really female dominated. Um, Why do you think that is? Well, I think that a lot of it is just because it speaks to our mm. fears. And we are, we, as you know, all humans, we love our fears to, we, we love to sort of peek behind the curtain, don't we? And to think that, I mean, it is a slight like feeling of, you know, there, but for the grace of God, go ahead. I mean, that's, that is, I mean, that's why I wanted to include all the social media mm. in the book, because I think that when a certain type of woman goes missing, and it is just a certain type, unfortunately, you know, these media frenzies do explode. And I, I think a lot of that is that vicarious, like, it could be you, or it could, or thank God it's not me this time, or, you know, and it's it is like a, a it's like a portrayal of all our fears. Yeah. So, and I think there is something cozy about sitting on your sofa and reading about this these terrible things that are happening that can right you know can fill women's minds with fears. I think it's I think it's sort of that basic that, that yeah, which is. I don't know what that says about us all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. And I think also from my perspective, I don't know about you, I also find it, I, I have read the worst things and now I'm prepared for anything. Any horrors that yeah. may come up in life. I've, I've read a book about that. I'm pretty sure I know how to deal with it now, you know. It's very yeah. true. I mean, yeah, you're sort of, I think it is that thing. It's like stare the worst thing in the yeah. face and see, and the, you know, the other, the thing you're going through might not be as bad or whatever, but you know. But also, I think that, you know, crime and thrillers do, they just tell really good stories yeah. often and they are really entertaining. And, you know, we all lead busy lives and it is really fun to be entertained. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so. And I, I think as well, as as our society has kind of progressed with the Me Too movements and things like that, I think representation of women within crime has also started to evolve a lot more, which is fantastic to see. Have you noticed that? Absolutely. Yeah. There are are some amazing books out at the moment and coming out that are doing exactly this thing of questioning how we want to see, how how do we want women really represented in this world? I think it's a really important question because I don't agree with not, you know, with sort of, you know, that, that thing of not portraying violence and stalking and fear and all those things because it it you know if we if we don't talk about it it's certainly never going to go away but i think we do need to talk about how we like to see female victims mm. and how we're going to talk about missing women and dead women and i think it's a really interesting conversation that i think thriller writers are really having at the moment there's a whole batch of writers doing this at the moment and it's that's so refreshing to read. I'm, I'm, there's, I'm, there's some brilliant books out there at the yeah, moment. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in the past, there's been a bit of fetishization around the woman, the female victim. Yeah. And now it feels like there's a much more of a consideration for the actual woman. <laughs> absolutely, completely. Yeah. It's, it, as you say, it's, it's very encouraging to see and hopefully we'll continue to get more and more. And he said there's a lot of great mm. books about it coming out at the moment. So are you a big reader as well as a writer? Oh, my goodness. Yes, I read. I have always since I could read. I have always read. That's that's my hobby. Yeah. So <laughs> you know. Sorry, go on. No, no. I was just going to say, there's not much else. I can say. <laughs> Apart from all your writing and parenting and everything well, yeah, else right. in life, but and, yeah, I mean, in my spare time, <laughs> spare time of which there's probably that much, but you know. So 
I imagine as well, you obviously get sent a lot of books as well in your position, which is a wonderful, a blessing and a curse, right? Because your TBR must be crazy. I know, I know. And and I sort of say to myself, oh, I'm not, I'm going to stop saying yes to books. And then I'll get a thing, I'll get an email saying, would you be interested in this? And the books are so good. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yes, I will. And then, yes. And then it just, I add it onto this pile that's, you know, sky high. <laughs> and then I buy loads of books as oh, well. So it's, yeah, you've got yeah. to support, you've got to support the economy. You've got to, you know, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. support fellow writers. <laughs> but yeah. uh, what was the last book that you read and loved? Well, the last thriller that I read and loved, I've read, well, I've read a couple of really good Ooh, great. thrillers recently. Um, and that is Rebecca Mackay's I Have Some Questions. Oh, great. And um, Catherine Ryan Howard's The Trap. Those are both brilliant. And also Kelly Garrett's Missing White Woman. I mean, they're all, they are all books that are doing, asking very similar questions to the ones I am in One of the Good Guys, you know, talking very much about, how we how you know how we perceive women like how we talk about them in the media um what happens when they go missing all those things so so I mean I they I loved all of those um and then I really loved I don't know if you read a book um it's called I'm a fan it's by Sheena no I haven't and it's oh god it's so good it's a really small little slim book about a woman and it's not a thriller but it's again it's covering very much the same things you know the same subject matter and basically it's this young woman who has she's in a relationship she's having an affair with a much older married sort of establishment figure artist um and it's just it's so good it's told I mean it's not actually it's just told in very short little sections but I mean you read them almost like social media posts or something and it's so good on like how women, you know, how women are treated again and how, you know, the sort of the commodification wow. of women. So, yeah, those four books I have read recently and loved. Wow. Okay. There's a lot for my TBR there. That sounds, they all sound fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Like I needed more on there, but you know. And as you <laughs> yeah. say, so there's a lot of books there with a kind of similar theme. And did you read a lot in your research, like nonfiction and things as well to get to, to writing yours? No, not really. And what I find so interesting is, you know, all these books, some of them haven't even come out, you know, like Missing White Woman, for example, is coming out, I think, in April or something. And The Trap came out just before. Well, in fact, I messaged Catherine Ryan Howard and I was like, I read The Trap and I was like, oh, my goodness. We've, I mean, that, that it's in completely different stories, but we've done really similar things. And yeah, and all, so all those books, they, we were writing them at the same time. And I find that so interesting that there must have been something in the Mm. air that, you know, those zeitgeisty moments when quite a few people are thinking the same thing. And I guess it just goes back to what I was talking about at the beginning that I guess we're six years on from me too, or seven years, however long it is now. And guess there's a lot of people just feeling a little bit disillusioned and a little bit like, well, why do I still feel unsafe, you know? And why does the media still fetishize missing women? And all those sorts of questions. I think we clearly, we all felt them at the same time. So, but I love it when that happens. I love it when Lots of people are saying the same sort of thing in the, in different ways. I think it's so interesting. The hive mind is very much buzzing with the same, yeah, yeah the same conversation is. Exactly. Yeah. And even with like the popularity of films like Barbie and things, which, you know, are so easy to discount as a 
I saw a thing about it earlier being like, yeah, but it's a film about a, a, a doll with big boobs. It's like, you didn't see the film, did you? I know. <laughs> it's it's yeah. not really about that. It's a lot more about, yeah, yeah, female identity and, yeah. Exactly. And but it isn't it interesting that all these things yeah. came out at the same time and, and yeah, people, and like Promising Young yes. Woman, that film. Love that film. Well. That's, I mean, I watched Promising Young Woman just at the end of one, a draft of one of, of one of my drafts of one of the good guys. And I was like, oh my goodness, yeah, it's like there's clearly something in the air. And it's, 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 yeah, it's yeah. great. I mean, it's great. And also, that's the thing, I guess, that will be the only answer to the question of how women are going to feel safe is if enough of us band together and if enough of us talk about things and if enough of us are saying the same thing, maybe we will start being listened to. Maybe, you know, things might change. So I think it's just such a powerful, Thing to do basically yeah absolutely and I think as well as you say having that conversation with men and I saw saw a lot of conversation about it on your Twitter about not having it in an angry way it's this is our very much our lived experience see what we're living with here and we need your help to get through it absolutely and you know like as Caitlin Moran said years and years ago you know dismantling the patriarchy is not about pitting women against no. men you know, most men, I'd say that like 70% of men will benefit massively from from dismantling the patriarchy because most men don't think like that. You know, we know that as yes. women. You know, it's such a cliche to say not all men. But, I mean, it's it, most men think like we do. Most men are, you know, uh, are aware of all these things. But it's always seems to, well, it seems to be the people at the top of society, or so, you know, so-called top, the people in control of society and the people who've always been in control people who've made all the laws and regulations and the people, as we saw through Me Too, the people who controlled what we watched and, you know, and run businesses, they were predatory. And it's actually getting rid of that is going to help most men and all women. Yeah. And it's like, that's such a great thing. It's like, I don't think, you know, we we, we see, you know, men are, are, you know, they should be our allies. And and um, the majority of them are. So it's not, it's not about, it's, I think it's a really easy criticism to level against like feminist writers is that thing of, oh, you just hate all men. Yeah. And obviously that's not yeah. true. Yeah, no, it's the thing. <laughs> yeah. It's a complete cop out <laughs> to go for that yeah. argument. Oh, well, this has been, I remember this is where things in the podcast take a bit of a weird turn now. So bear with me on this. <laughs> And this is where the point where I have to confront you about something terrible, I'm afraid. Oh. So, Araminta, <laughs> you've been so wonderful to speak to. And I'm and I'm actually a bit it's a bit of a shame we have to take this have to have this conversation now, because unfortunately, <laughs> you've committed a terrible heinous crime, Araminta. Okay. So I mean, I don't think that's without the beyond the realms of possibility. <laughs> well, I th- that's what I thought. But, you know, turns out you've committed a crime so terrible, so heinous in nature that unfortunately you've uh, been sentenced to death for it. Oh, my God. Oof, okay. Bit of a bit of a shock. Do you do you know what you've done? Do you have an inkling of what your crime could be to lead to this point? I mean, no, <laughs> I have no idea what I would do because I'm I'm sort of. No, I feel like I'm quite a nice one of person. the good guys, huh? <laughs> I'm going. I'm going to sound like Cole now. I'm going to say I'm one of the good guys. I mean, I definitely wouldn't embezzle money or all those sorts of things. I can't imagine doing anything that was thought out. So I guess it would have to be a crime of passion. I guess 
I would have to have I mean, it would have to be your partner, wouldn't okay, it? Okay, crime fashion. These <laughs> things happen. We've all been there. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of anyone else who would rile me enough <laughs> that I would actually stand. And so, so which would that's that that's all I can think okay, of. Okay, <laughs> well, well, I think that's a very relatable response <laughs> to that particular <laughs> question. Okay. Well, we won't go into the gory details on that. Let's just no, I I'd like to not think about how I'd Kill my husband. Like, yeah. like you've not thought about <laughs> it, but okay. Yeah, absolutely. So unfortunately, that has happened. You were caught, which is a bummer as well. And you yeah. were charged and sentenced, as I say, to death. But good news. It's not all bad news, Araminta, because I okay. can get you the death row meal of your dreams. Right. Result. <laughs> what would your death row meal be? Oh my God, this is going to sound so pathetic and I will have to change my answer really. But my my youngest daughter and I have this thing where basically we are the only people in our house who like, this sounds so ridiculous, we like baked potatoes with tuna (laughs) mayonnaise on them. (laughs) We only eat them when it's just the two of us, which is actually much more common now because we are often just the two of us. But we always say, oh, that would be our death row meal because we never are allowed to eat them. We always, we, you know, we're always, because everyone is always like, oh my God, tuna mayonnaise and baked potatoes. It's the most disgusting combination. So, but that, that couldn't be my death row meal. It, it can be. It be. It's a comfort and it you would, love it. It would, yeah, it, maybe it would be a comfort. I mean, I think the truth is I wouldn't be able to eat. I'd be so... I'd be so sad. Yeah, and no, it would be a bit of a sad day, sure, and made made all yeah. the sadder by the wafting smell of tuna amongst yourself, <laughs> potentially. Yeah. But that's not bad. Would you have a dessert with it, at least, or a nice drink? I mean, no, I can't. I can't imagine if I was going to be put mm. to death the next day. I can't imagine wanting anything other than spending a bit of time with my the people I love. Well, your daughter will um, be there to so have I, the tuna. I, I, data with you because <laughs> that's the rule well yeah maybe my daughter could come in and have that I mean no I can't think I mean I guess or maybe you'll just like have a bottle of vodka and just obliterate <laughs> yourself so you didn't have to think about what was coming yeah, go for cirrhosis ahead of the, the whatever method exactly. you use yeah nice exactly. <laughs> okay, yeah. That's, no, I think that's a good choice to say whatever works for you it's a very personal thing and you know yeah. on a government budget I think that's quite amenable as well I think we can make that work yeah exactly <laughs> They would love me. They really they? would. Yeah, they've probably got that knocking about. No problem. Exactly. <laughs> oh, okay. Tuna mayo, very good choice. Unfortunately, <laughs> you have now been put to death and you are dead. I'm very sorry to have to be the one to tell you that. Okay. But again, not all bad news because we will bury you with the book of your choice to take with you and whatever you believe the afterlife to be, or if there is one or not, or if you think people are just going to dig you up in a few years and have a look around, what what would you take with you? What book would you be buried with? I Well, I guess that has to sort of be your favourite. doesn't have to be. Because there's no point in... Well, I think it would have to be my favourite. I mean, I can't think. I mean, unless you were going to go really dark (laughs) and were like Dracula or something. But I I, 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 I don't feel like I would do that. I mean, my favourite book, the book that I reread and brings me most comfort and everything is Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty dark book. It is pretty dark, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I feel like if I had to eternally read one book in the afterlife, if, if that was my punishment, it wouldn't be too bad to 
read that book. Yeah, I, it would be. I think that would be too much of a downvers downer. Didn't really yeah. work. Yeah. Pun, but uh, <laughs> yeah. no, that is a solid choice. And I think actually, if I recall, Sarah Hillary chose the same book. So I think yeah, I so you're in good company. Yeah, she's a really big. I think I've read her saying before. She's a massive. Demand, yeah, uh, which I am. Oh yeah, how can you help yeah. me? And especially Rebecca is just such a. Oof. Oh, it's just. I mean, it's such a brilliant book, Rebecca, because it just changes so much with your age. Yeah. You know, when you're, because most people read it, I guess, at thirteen for the first time, and you sort of read it as a love story, and then you read it again as an adult, and you're like, oh my goodness, <laughs> it's the darkest yeah. non-love story ever. And um, and then yeah, I mean, I it's a book I reread relatively frequently and I still get something out of it every time which I mean that is the mark of an amazing oh my god absolutely and the film as well I love the film the Hitchcock film yes which one the the latest the Hitchcock oh no um, the latest (laughs) yes yeah the Hitchcock is amazing yeah yeah the real latest with like Army Hammer was a little and that was badly timed with his whole thing huh (laughs) everything about it was very very suspect Mm, yeah Yeah. you couldn't yeah the one thing you didn't want to happen yikes yeah (laughs) well Araminta it's been such a pleasure chatting with you thank you so much for your time I know the book is out now but where can people follow you online oh I am just my name Araminta Hall and I'm on Twitter or X and (laughs) And I keep, I always say it's Twitter, Twitter. it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or Instagram. I'm just on those two. So fantastic. <laughs> well, thank you so, so much. And thank you to everyone. No, thank you for very interesting questions. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I mean, I try to do ones that are a little bit different to what you may usually get. The whole um, murder killing you thing is uh, normally a surprise for yeah. some. <laughs> a little bit off piece. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> and thank you all for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of Red and Buried. Until then. And also another thing, Araminta, I never know how to end this podcast. How shall we end this? I mean, I guess you just say, see you next week or have <laughs> that works for me well, see you next week bye everyone <laughs> how would you like to challenge your little grey cells while reveling in the vintage perfection of David Suchet's Poirot if so then the labours of a Hercule podcast was made for you we're taking a deep dive into every episode of this masterpiece of television and giving you the clues you need to solve the case along with Poirot himself we present the case and you solve it whether you're a detective in the making or if you just simply want to gush over the genius and art decodence of Agatha Christie, then subscribe now to The Labours of Hercule wherever you get your podcasts. 